Well, uh, thank you, uh, Angus, uh, for the, uh, the kind introduction and for the, the detailed stats looking at the, the world of uh, energy over the last year and the outlook for the uh, future. The fact that delegates are here in such numbers reflects the importance uh, of moving towards uh, the low-carbon economy. also reflects the <clears throat> array of speakers over the next two days, the, the panel members who are gathered for the uh, event, far, far too many to name individually, but we are very grateful uh, to them for their input. Uh, I am grateful in particular to those who have come from other countries and other continents, uh, and I would like to welcome them and uh, thank warmly the organisers of the conference, the, the partners in the Edinburgh Chamber of Commerce, Scottish Enterprise, Highlands and Islands Enterprise, and the Scottish Future Trust. <coughs> now, delegates, when I addressed uh, the first Scottish Low Carbon Investment Conference at this time last year. I described that the shift to low carbon energy as the kind of step change that occurs not once in a generation or even a lifetime or a century, but once in a millennium, as a fundamental one-off quantum leap in human history. Once we make that paradigm shift, there will be no going back. <clears throat> it is a turning point, like the discovery of the new world or the move from hunter-gathering to agriculture. So the challenge before us all, the unique challenge for this generation, and a challenge in which Scotland, by virtue of its geographic endowment of wave, wind, tidal power, has an exceptional role to play, is to accomplish that great leap forward uh, for mankind. Now, I'm sure that this audience is fully seized of the requirement to, to make that move, to tackle climate change, and if and if you aren't, and I'm sure by the end of tomorrow morning's keynote address from Al Gore, then you certainly will be. But I'm pleased that the 2010 conference took the initiative and got to work with an impressive determination on some of the key issues that we know as being the major challenges to growth in the low-carbon sector. As a direct consequence of that conference, <clears throat> we left much clearer on what these challenges actually are. Uh, the financial challenges of assessing the substantial capital investment required in what continues to be a hugely challenging world environment. The need to develop a supply chain that meets the demand of a, a technologically complex sector that is meeting new challenges in industry which by definition can operate in the most challenging of natural environments where the winds are strongest, the waves are highest and the tidal flows are deepest. Uh, the need to get a buy-in, not just from finance and energy sectors, but from the wider public as a whole. And I thought the conference last year made substantial progress. Uh, it was a milestone, however, not a, a finishing line. The journey carries on and the work continues. And we have kept going and we're glad again one year on to take stock to recharge our batteries to set our sights on the future. Uh, and the sights should be high. I mentioned uh, a second ago the exceptional environmental endowment of Scotland. Uh, briefly, we have as much as a quarter of Europe's offshore wind resource and tidal energy potential and an estimated tenth of its wave power capacity. Uh, and our capacity to, to store carbon emissions offshore, that potential capacity is the largest in the European Union. It's greater than that of the Netherlands, Germany and Denmark combined. But the point of last year's conference and of this year's is not to celebrate that potential but to start the journey and move forward in the realization of that potential. 
So what exactly has happened over the last year? First, as we've seen worldwide, we've seen continued substantial investment in Scotland's renewable sector. Companies international or international partners are investing heavily. In December, Mitsubishi announced plans to invest up to £100 million sterling to create a centre for advanced offshore wind turbine technology right here in the Scotland's capital city of Edinburgh. In March, Gaia Wind from Denmark opened a new manufacturing design and distribution hub in Glasgow, aiming to manufacture 350 small wind turbines in its initial year. In March, Doosan Power Systems announced its intention to locate its renewable research and development base in Scotland, creating hundreds of new jobs with investments worth up to £170 million over the next decade. Uh, tomorrow evening, right after this conference, I'll be travelling to Bells Hill near Glasgow to open Gamesa's new offshore turbine wind centre, the Centre of Excellence, a £12.5 million investment, creating 130 high-value-added jobs. Uh, Technip have uh, opened a new European uh, Renewables Offshore Office in the city of Aberdeen. EDP Repsol and the financial might that these companies' balance sheets carry uh, are, of course, now in the responsibility for some 2.5 gigawatts of the offshore wind uh, potential developments of the east coast of Scotland. Now, I could give many more examples of overseas investment over the last year, but can I just touch for a second on the home team? Uh, the Wood Group uh, is moving increasingly into renewable energy, uh, taking a substantial equity stake in the leading energy consultancy firm, Segur Energy. Segur, incidentally, is Gaelic for distinctive mountain peak. Uh, I knew at this time in the morning the entire conference would like a touch of Gaelic uh, from, uh, from the ancient Celtic language of Scotland. Uh, Scottish Southern Energy is to invest over £3 billion in renewables and related infrastructure in Scotland in the five years from 2008 to 2013. In the last two years alone, it's increased its number of employees in Scotland by 1,500. Uh, Scottish Power Renewables has opened a further two massive onshore wind farms uh, in Ayrshire, in the southwest of Scotland, and have indicated that their requirements uh, for a labour force and transmission and power generation is going to increase substantially given the renewables exploitation. In March, Strathclyde University, we saw an element of that in the, in the film a few minutes ago, announced the inauguration of a new £90 million technology institute which will house the engineers who will design the great new machines to power Earth into this century. And I could give many more examples, but let me say finally on this point that uh, I'm delighted to announce today that Aquamarine Power uh, one of Scotland's great green energy technology companies is today celebrating a further investment of some £7 million, with shareholders working together to develop a further funding package of £18 million uh, to take the, the company on to the commercialisation of its oyster wave technology in 2014. Ladies and gentlemen, these are very substantial uh, achievements over the last year. But if we just reflect on that announcement for a second, it's great news for the company. It's a clear signal to the wider energy and investment community of how close we are to the commercial-scale deployment of clean, green ocean power energy generation, even in the challenging sectors of wave and uh, tidal technology. 
Uh, as you know, with the partners in the Crown Estate Commission, we've uh, licensed uh, uh, and are waiting to move forward with some 1,400 megawatts or more of already licensed uh, wave and tidal potential. Uh, I'm increasingly confident uh, that we can see within the next few years the wave and tidal uh, industry move from uh, demonstrator uh, machines in the European Centre and the Orkney Islands uh, towards that substantial commercial development. And this additional funding uh, demonstrates there's investor confidence in Scotland's low-carbon energy innovation and business strategies which will take these technologies into marketable positions. Now, secondly, let me uh, say something about how we have built in last year's conference, because I believe that's been one factor which has added uh, to that investment. Uh, the message from the uh, conference last year, one of the strongest messages, that we should use the expertise of the oil and gas industry to make sure that the accumulated uh, capital of human knowledge over the last uh, 40 years uh, that we've uh, learned about the waters uh, around Scotland should now be deployed uh, to bring uh, that expertise into the renewable sector. Uh, so that experience gained over decades of North Sea development and successfully implementing major offshore oil field projects could be put into use for offshore renewables. So straight after the conference last year, we secured the commitment <coughs> of leaders across both sectors uh, to attend a, a summit in the matter in the city of Aberdeen. Uh, and I saw for myself in, in that summit uh, how some of the perceived barriers between the sectors start to come down and great ideas for collaboration emerged. And that seminar suggested we need to both sell the opportunity in offshore renewable to the oil and gas sector and clearly show the benefits of the oil and gas sector that experience could bring to renewables. So I can announce today that Scottish Enterprise is publishing a, a guide to offshore wind, oil and gas capability. And this shows and demonstrates the knowledge and expertise of the oil and gas supply chain could help reduce offshore wind costs by at least 20%. And let me add, Serene Wood will be leading a, a breakout section on that very issue uh, at this conference. He also told us last year that uh, as a sector as innovative as uh, renewables need encouragement and support all the way from research right through to commercialization. And as the sector moved from testing prototypes to full-scale manufacturing, that kind of support would be increasingly important. Now, as a government, we listen to that. Scotland is now, I can announce, the only country that provides support all the way from research and development to prototype development and testing devices and on to the commercialization and manufacturing of such machines. In particular, through the £70 million Pounds National Renewable Infrastructure Fund that we launched just after last year's conference. We're working with a, a range of, of great companies, many of them in this room and others, to understand the requirements for manufacturing and work towards meeting them. Now, to further strengthen that continuum of support, from the most basic research to full-scale manufacturing and commercialisation, it's with great pleasure that today I can announce that Scottish Government backing for the Prototype Offshore Wind Energy Renewables Support Fund, or POWERS. I always love an acronym that you can remember. So it's POWERS. It's a £35 million fund which will provide financial support for capital and operational costs associated with the production of full-scale prototypes of next-generation offshore wind turbine. 
We envisage making awards which will operate over a minimum of four years between five and seven companies at the level of around five to seven million pounds. Crucially, this will support the gap between research and development and manufacturing and therefore complete our integrated package of support from research to manufacturing, one which is internationally competitive and world-leading. The next generation of offshore wind turbines designed to operate in deep water, not uh, onshore wind in a puddle, but designed to operate in deep water is absolutely critical uh, in terms of mobilising the, the massive potential resource uh, of Scotland's shores, particularly that resource in deeper water. And more broadly, beside the stable, continuous access to financial support from research and development to manufacture, at last year's conference, the delegates stressed the need to provide as much stability as possible across the board for a sector that is new and innovative and often operating in difficult natural environments. We try to manage out the potential risks, and we've done that by trying to ensure that we've taken the political consensus in Scotland with us. So, for example, on our world-leading climate change legislation, setting the toughest targets in the world, although major economies like Germany are coming up uh, close behind, uh, I did at the uh, Copenhagen uh, conference pledge that uh, anybody who met our uh, our target of 42% reduction in uh, emissions by 2020 it would get a bottle of uh, Scotland's prized uh, new 2020 malt whisky. Uh, such has been the surge of interest. I've managed to allocate only four bottles across the planet, although Angela Merkel is on the cusp of achieving her very own bottle in Germany. Uh, but nonetheless, the target that was set uh, by Scotland was set unanimously uh, by the Scottish Parliament is, incidentally, ladies and gentlemen, a target we are now two-thirds of the way to meeting, and one which we are very, very confident that will be met. But if the fundamental policy is shared across the political parties, the industry can take a great deal of comfort that that sense of direction and impetus it will remain. I have to say, since uh, May's election, as far as uh, interest in renewable development in Scotland, uh, then I think people can be reasonably confident that that policy it will remain from the government in the, in the near future in Scotland. But it is still of great importance that there is a buy-in to that policy uh, across the political spectrum. When the government was re-elected, we hit the ground running. We've set ourselves a still more ambitious renewable target for 2020. Uh, by 2020, we'll generate the equivalent of 100% of our gross annual electricity demand from renewables. That doesn't mean that... Uh, Renewables will be the only energy technology being deployed in Scotland. What it means is we'll produce twice as much electricity as we need, and some half of that electricity, 100% equivalent of our demand, will come from renewables. The other half will be exported. This is an entirely achievable target. Last June, we, this June rather, we published uh, our renewables route map. And taken alongside the draft electricity generation statement, which is currently in progress, it sets the course for a rapid expansion in renewable capacity, complemented by greater energy efficiency, advances in energy storage, and the development of carbon capture and storage technologies. It's worth reflecting on the history of that 2020 target. Since 2007, we've moved from a, a target of 40% to 50%, then to 80%, and now to 100% equivalent of domestic demand. Because the increased targets actually are reflected by increased generation.
We have consistently under-promised and over-delivered. When I made my first uh, major speech as First Minister back in 2007, and I'm sure all of you remember it absolutely intensely, uh, I said, as of today, renewable installed capacity comprising hydro, wind, biomass, landfill gas, installed capacity is some 2.4 uh, uh, gigawatts. I predicted in two years' time, that is in 2009, the figure would be over 3 uh, gigawatts. In fact, uh, two years later, we were producing almost 4 gigawatts, exceeding the target by some 25%. Now, we know that last year, in particular in Scotland, because of uh, our exceptionally dry climate last year, I'll just repeat that, it didn't rain much in Scotland in 2010, although those of you uh, who are from hereabouts probably notice we've been making up for that over the last few months. Uh, there was a decline in the our complement of hydropower. But we know that overall we are making significant progress with renewables and we can now be confident we will reach or exceed our 31% target in 2011. For example, in the second quarter of this year, the contribution of the renewables industry to Scotland's demand for electricity was over 30%. Indeed, in some days, it was over 50%. So just as we've seen increased investment and just as we have seen still further efforts by the Scottish Government to create the right background of support and stability, so too as a consequence we see increased production. Now, having talked a bit about what happened after last year's conference, eh, let me say something about what hasn't happened. There is still uncertainty over aspects of the pricing policy and electricity market reform. So, for example, one of Scotland's attractions is the way in which we offer some of the strongest incentives in the world for wave and tidal energy, particularly through renewable obligation certificates, where we offer five for wave power and three for tidal. We are very concerned that the UK Government review of rocks and have urged and will continue to urge caution. Managing the risks caused by the actions of other governments is naturally less under our control than our own actions, but we will certainly continue to bring as much influence as we can to bear across the range of issues of crucial importance on issues like uh, electricity market reform and transition charges, transmission charges on the review of rocks. I was struck uh, by the analysis of uh, uh, Andrew Biglass of the Royal Bank of Scotland, who is on our speakers list for tomorrow. In a recent article in the Scotsman newspaper, he highlighted the complexity of the electricity markets in a way that uncertainty could lead to a slowdown of projects. But he did stress that was for the short term because he also stressed that that uncertainty would be resolved. I continue to believe if the reforms are right, then they will can act to increase levels of investment and to make us the destination of choice for renewable energy finance. But I would stress once again, as I did last year to the United Kingdom government, that without care, then the direction of reform can lead to unanticipated and unexpected consequences. However, this industry can take great comfort from one thing that's certain, because amid the fog of uncertainty on electricity market reform and on transmission charges, one fact stands out like a, a beam from a lighthouse through the fog, and that is that the tide of history is flowing ever more strongly towards renewable energy. The demand for Electricity is still growing. Energy gaps are beginning to emerge south of the border and indeed in the European continent. And the destination and date of these gaps becomes ever closer. 
Countries uh, across the world are moving towards more ambitious targets for reducing carbon emissions and therefore increasing the use of renewable energy. Countries such as Germany, Switzerland, Italy and Japan are moving away from nuclear energy towards clean and green energy. And that public policy shift has been accompanied in the industrial sector. A recent announcement by companies of the stature of Siemens and SSE that they were withdrawing from the nuclear sector, they were withdrawing for hard-headed commercial reasons. So the global political and commercial trend towards reliance on renewable energy is clear, and particularly as it affects our industry here in Scotland and the effort as it affects the European continent, uh, Scotland's potential as one of the green energy powerhouses that will be required for that continent is beyond question. So although the Scottish Government and Parliament have been world leaders in their approach to renewable energy and low carbon, we want to do more still. Uh, and that is why in our revised Government Economic Strategy published just a few days ago, we established a new strategic priority from transition to a low carbon economy. When we entered government back in 2007, we set a purpose of focusing government and public services on creating a more successful country, opportunities for all in Scotland to flourish through increasing sustainable economic growth. We mustn't let transient, severe but transient economic difficulties deter us from that purpose. If anything, they make it all the more important. Economic conditions have changed markedly since 2007. We've had the deepest global recession in 50 years, and the government economic strategy gives clear priority to accelerating economic recovery. Because it's returning to growth in the private sector that is the key to unlocking Scotland's potential. Our relative comparative advantage in the low-carbon economy is therefore the key to unlocking much of that private sector investment. All the evidence is that it's possible to grow the Scottish economy while simultaneously moving to a low-carbon economy and indeed that the Scottish economy will grow faster in a low-carbon basis. The market for renewable energy will be worth £3.2 billion in Scotland by 2014. Within a generation or two, then the market in real terms might be ten times that in Scotland alone in terms of the energy production from our shores, from our waters. By 2020, the low-carbon economic strategy shows there could be 130,000 jobs in low carbon, close to double the current number, taking it to over 5% of the Scottish workforce. So there are significant economic gains to be realised and therefore investment opportunities to be seized. So we took, uh, undertook during the election campaign to seize that opportunity to achieve nothing less than the re-industrialisation of Scotland. Re-industrialisation not by desecrating environmental heritages or our mountains or our glens, but rebuilding where our industrial strength was before, creating, for example, an industry in the Clyde to match shipbuilding of the 19th century as we moved to turbine building in the 21st century. And gradually and over decades, the energy and sector moves away from hydrocarbons. We have the opportunity to convert our substantial industry in making and servicing the offshore installations to an industry servicing the new renewable energy opportunities in the North Sea, in the Murray Firth, in the Pentland Firth. And across Scotland, we'll see that native ingenuity, that engineering ability that has delivered so many benefits to mankind turn to providing the benefit of clean energy for these islands and for Northern Europe. So the Scottish Government wants to play a full part in steering the path 
to reindustrialise in Scotland through this renewable revolution. And part of the purpose of this conference is to give delegates here the chance to tell us if there are ways we could play our role even better still, just as you did last year and just as we picked up in the course of the last 12 months. But then all of us, whether an industry or a government or academia, have a role to play to achieve the goals we've set ourselves with partnership and cooperation. Because I believe it's important not just that we work among ourselves, but we have to reach out to a wider public. For me, it was one of the clearest messages to come out of last year's conference, and perhaps an unexpected message to come out of a conference that then, as today, was mainly composed of generators, producers, and investors rather than consumers. But though I touched on consumer interest last year, I was very encouraged and impressed by the way in which it was industry leaders like Ian Marchant of SSE who led the argument through on that. And I think they're absolutely right. The Scottish Government has sought to, to manage the, the political environment by working with other parties to achieve climate change targets which have been agreed unanimously. But in a democracy, managing out political risk means not just taking other parties with you, but taking the people with you as well. And I, I believe the people in Scotland are responsive to that engagement. They know climate isn't the same as the weather, but they are still concerned at the increasing incidence of flooding consistent with global warming. At the petrol pump and their electricity bills, they're acutely aware of the sharp upward trend in prices. The figures that Angus showed us a few minutes ago uh, looking in particular at the relative production costs of the renewable sector and the hydrocarbon sector, emphasise the point that rather than being the cause of upward prices, renewables offer us the opportunity to contain these price rises. So they see the need to use energy more efficiently, and shortly after last year's conference, we launched our Energy Efficiency Action Plan, setting Scotland's first target for energy reduced reduction. In last week's Scottish budget, we took further steps to ensure that target is met with a programme worth one-third of a billion pounds to tackle fuel poverty to increase home energy efficiency. And as the public see the sense in moving to be more self-sufficient in energy supply, ensuring greater security of supply by better grid connection, sensibly charged within the UK and indeed across the Irish Sea and North Sea. Above all, uh, in the last election, we got a tremendous response to the message that we gave the electorate, that the same message that I've just given this conference, that developing renewable energy gives us the chance to re-industrialise this country. So I believe that our shift to the low-carbon economy offers benefits to all. It also calls on all, all of us, private sector, public sector, companies, consumers, those sitting in offices, those fitting out the offshore installations alike, to play their full part. And that's why it's so important that all of you have gathered here today to work with each other, to join all of our skills and ideas to map the way forward. I'm looking to forward to playing an active part in today's proceedings and to meeting with as many of you uh, as possible. This afternoon, I'll take a, a small break to go and chair the Cabinet, but I shall come back after that. I'm looking forward to the, the dinner tonight in the great new National Museum of Scotland. When we go to dinner tonight, and perhaps I'll say a word about this later on, uh, we'll be in a, a national museum <coughs> which, uh, in addition to exemplifying the heritage and history of our country, uh, has extraordinary exhibits uh, which indicate the, the scientific advance 
that was part and parcel of the drive to trade and commercialization of the Industrial Revolution, of the Trading Revolution, of the Age of Enlightenment uh, uh, led by this capital city uh, of Edinburgh. And as extraordinary exhibits <coughs> from around the globe of, of how these innovations and invention were, were put to use for the, the benefit uh, of mankind. I like to, to feel and to think uh, that what we are doing in this industry, at this conference uh, and elsewhere across uh, uh, this continent, uh, is going to soon play its full part uh, in these exhibits. And that in some decades' time, that uh, youngsters will be touring around or seeing online the, the work and uh, displays in that great national museum and looking at the, at the devices which transformed the energy transmission of this planet and the energy production and made it compatible with the, the future and sustainability uh, of this earth. I am absolutely certain that the work in which we are now engaged will take its part as the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution did in decades to come. So I'm looking forward to playing an active part in the proceedings of this, con uh, this conference. Uh, and let's all uh, resolve to make this conference not just as productive as last year's conference, which was extremely productive, but to make it absolutely clear uh, that when we meet once again uh, in a year or so's time, we'll look to look back on the engagement and uh, issues discussed at this conference and see not the end of the journey, but another substantial milestone along the way. Many thanks indeed.